got it. Okay, welcome back. Really glad you're here. I know it's a cold Wednesday evening, and so thanks for coming out to RUF. Uh, we have been this semester doing a study, uh, and we've been asking this question this semester. Uh, who is Jesus? And to answer that question, we've been looking at uh, specifically the Gospel of Mark, and we'll probably stay in the first half of the Gospel of Mark this semester. And tonight we're actually going to look at chapter 2, but let's do a quick review. We've So far this semester we've answered the question, as we a- asked the question, who is Jesus, we looked at his identity, his message. Last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 2 uh, in his forgiveness, And tonight, through Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we're going to look at Jesus uh, and His grace. And so before we uh, dig in and look at that passage, let me pray and ask God to come through His Spirit and to help us. Father, we come tonight uh, to Your Word, and we come week after week because this is what we need. And so I pray that tonight we would be reminded of who you are, that we would be reminded of your grace and your goodness, that we would literally um, in some way taste and see that you're very gracious and you're very loving uh, at the heart of who you are. Would you take um, the word and through your spirit apply it to our lives Uh, I pray that we would respond tonight in faith to the beauty of Jesus that we see in this passage. Remind us that we're never so bad that we're beyond the reach of your grace. And at the very same time, remind us tonight that we're never so good that we are beyond the need of your grace. Come and show us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So tonight, again, you know, we're asking that question of who is Jesus. And so tonight we're going to look at two things about Jesus. We're going to learn two things about Jesus in this passage. And the first one is that bad people, messy, broken people love Jesus. The second thing we're going to see is that good, self-righteous people actually hate Jesus. So those are our two points tonight. Why bad people love Jesus and why good people hate Jesus. So let's look at our first point, why bad people love Jesus. And there's an outline printed for you in your announcement sheet if you want to follow along. But let's look at that first point. Look at verses 15 through 16 with me. If you notice, three times, look at those two verses, three times in two verses it mentions something There very specifically. Notice what it mentions. There's a repetition there. It mentions the fact that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. That is very significant. little Bible study kind of uh, insert here. Anytime, just like you're reading anything, if the author is repeating something, okay, the the light should go off and you should say, wait a minute, I've read this, we've seen this a few times, we need to really pay attention to what's being said. That's what's happening here. Mark wants us to see something about Jesus and about Christianity. Why is Mark making such a big deal about, by the fact that Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors? 
Why is he pointing that out? Well, simply put, in that culture, they were the wrong kinds of people. They were the bottom of the barrel. You see, we've got to understand, to really understand this passage, we need to understand something about who Levi was. And in the first century, he was the lowest of the lows because he was a tax collector and he was hated by society. He was considered a moral untouchable. Why? Well, because tax collectors were despised because they were Jews who sold out their own people in order to work for the Roman government and to collect taxes off of their own people. And so they were traitors. Not to mention, it was a well-known fact in that day that they would tax more taxes than were necessary over and above what were necessary. And what would they do with the extra? They would keep it. They would pad their own pockets. And so they are getting rich off of their own people. And so tax collectors were despised because they betrayed their own people for their own private interest. They were considered social outcasts. And in Jewish law, they were grouped together with murders and robbers and included in Jewish law as beast unclean. You got the picture? You with me? Okay, we're talking lowest of the low in this society. Then we also see there a term, sinners. What is that? That seems kind of broad. Let me try to explain it. It's actually a technical term that designates an entire class of people that really didn't care about the religious rules. It designated a class of people that didn't care about God or religion. They were religious outcasts. Another way to say it is they are people who weren't good enough. I want you to think about that, okay? This is who Jesus is with. Jesus is hosting a party, sinners and tax collectors, and he is right smack in the middle of them. And that's what's amazing about this passage. And that is why people that are considered outcast, or messy, or unlovable, or bad. That's why they're drawn to Jesus. That's why they love Jesus. Because Jesus is hosting a party, not for the good people. Not for the people that have it all together. Not for the movers and shakers. Not for the social elite and those who are really connected. Jesus is hosting a party for the people that didn't get invited to any other party. Jesus is hosting a party for people who aren't connected enough, who aren't rich enough, who aren't pretty enough, who aren't skinny enough, who are moral failures. Those are the people that Jesus likes to party with. Ricky Jones, you've heard me say, mention his name before, but he was a campus minister at Mississippi State. He's now a church planner in Oklahoma. And he tells a story about a man that was in his congregation a few years ago. And he, this man was a prominent leader in his congregation and had come into his office and wasn't upset or angry or anything, but just was informing him that he got transferred with his job and he was actually moving to another state. And Ricky said it was hard because he had gotten close to this man because they had walked through some pretty serious stuff together. 
This man uh, had an affair, committed adultery, went before the church leaders, had repented of his sin and was restored. Uh, Then committed adultery again a second time, come back before the leaders of the church and was uh, repented and was restored again. And Ricky says it really was from that second time uh, he really, he said he changed and grew more than anything and more than anyone he had ever seen in his time in ministry. And so as he's talking to Ricky, this man says, I want you Tell me a few churches that would be good for me to go to, and I want you to call the pastors, and I want you to tell them who I am and what I've done because I want them to know about my sin before I meet them. And Ricky was just amazed and really taken back at this man's vulnerability and his openness and his desire to be known. And so he asked him, what was it? You have changed so much. What was the thing that really led to your change and growth? How did you go from being someone who lived a double life and a secret life to someone who is very passionate about being known? And listen to what the man told him. It happened when you brought me before the leaders of the church to confess my sin and all the things that I was deeply afraid of. Because when I went into that meeting with the church leaders, I expected to get yelled at and scorned. But instead, they wept with me. And they prayed with me. And after they got through praying with me, I actually expected the silent treatment. Or I expected to be shunned. Or I expected coldness. But instead, every single one of them came over And they wrapped their arms around me and they hugged me. And he says, the hugs, that's what changed me. And in the midst of my shame, for the very first time, I realized that Jesus was not ashamed of me. And that's what changed my life. Friends, I get asked this a lot. What do you want RUF to be? What's the vision for RUF? And we talk about all that kind of stuff. And people ask me those questions. You want to know what I want RUF to be? I want it to be a lot of things. But one thing I want it to be is I want it to be a place where you can come into this room and you can bring the things that you're deeply ashamed about. And instead of getting scorned, someone would grab you and weep with you and pray with you. Instead of getting coldness and getting shunned and condemned, someone would actually wrap their arms around you and hug you. And perhaps more than anything, I want you to come into this place and maybe for the first time begin to believe that Jesus is not ashamed of you. No matter what it is that you have done in the mess that you might find yourself in. If you can begin tonight to believe that Jesus is not ashamed of you. If that is the narrative that you start to believe in your head and in your heart. Rather than kicking yourself, believing that Jesus hates you. 
and resents you, if you can start believing that he's not ashamed, but he deeply, deeply loves you, that will change your life. And here's the sad reality, because I know, because I'm one of them. I'm with you. Deep down, we have a hard time really, really believing that, don't we? We have a hard time believing that Jesus loves us in our mess. Some of you have, the semester has already gotten off to a horrible start and we're only three weeks in. Some of you have skeletons in your closet that you hope no one ever finds out about. Some of you have things that are unspeakable to you. And you think that God is so disappointed in you. You think that God is ready to quit on you. That God is saying, get your act together, clean yourself up, and if you don't, I'm done with you. There's a problem with that. What's the problem with that? We're going to come back to it, and I'm going to keep saying it because I need to hear it, and I think you need to hear it. The problem with what I've just said is that's not good news. That's terrible news. And what did Jesus come to do? Bring good news. And the good news is that Jesus does not run away from filthy, dirty people. But he actually draws near to ruined, broken sinners, to moral untouchables, to moral failures like we see in this story with the tax collector. And Jesus, here it is, doesn't require that you clean yourself up to go to him. Think about that. Oftentimes we think we got to clean ourselves up and then we can go to Jesus. No. Your job is not to clean yourself up. That's his job. Jesus says, come. Let me clean you. Jesus' arms are open, ready to receive you. If you're here tonight, I don't know where you are, but if, if you're here tonight and you've ever felt judged or condemned by some insidery Christian subculture that you don't even know how to describe... If you've been judged and condemned in some way, I want you to know that I'm so sorry. Because that's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus would do. That's not who we want to be. Jesus draws near. And if we're ever going to respond with love and compassion rather than with contempt and scorn and judgment. What's going to have to happen is we're going to have to identify ourselves with Levi. We're going to have to identify ourselves with Levi and realize that the only reason that you and I aren't in the tax booth, so to speak, Dead in our sin is because Jesus loved us first. And when we start to identify ourselves with Levi, here's how you'll know that you've started to do that. Is you'll start to run towards people that are messy rather than running away from them. And you know what else will happen? You'll stop 
Or you'll grow increasingly frustrated with people around you who look down their noses and put limits on Jesus and his grace. First thing, why, does, why do bad people love Jesus? Secondly, why do good people hate Jesus? Look at verse 16. So Mark introduces this group called the Pharisees, and we're going to see them a lot throughout our study. They're going to show up all over the place. The Pharisees literally mean separatist. They were known for separating themselves from the uglier elements of society and of life. They were the people who were the religious elite of the day. They focused on following the rules. They believed in good theology. They believed the right things. They did the right things. And not only that, they were very proud of that fact. That they were good, religious, and moral people. But here's the thing. They hated Jesus. They hated him. And here's what we're going to see next week is it doesn't take long before they start devising a plan in order to kill him. And as we keep going through the Gospel of Mark, we will see that they eventually do kill him. Stop the tape for a second. Think about that interesting fact. Bad people didn't kill Jesus. It was the good people. The religious people. The self-righteous people. They were the ones that killed Jesus. Jesus, and put him on the cross. Why do they hate Jesus? Well, there's a few reasons, but I'm going to focus on one. Good people hate Jesus because he looks them in the eye and tells them that they really aren't all that good. Good people hate Jesus because he looks them in the eye and says, you're really not as good as you think you are. Look at verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is basically translation here. Everyone is spiritually sick. Everyone. That's what Jesus is saying. But the only people that are ever going to get healthy, to get well and to be made whole again, are the people that actually go see the doctor. And Jesus is looking at these good religious people, and he's saying to them, think about this, you're so diseased, you're so sick, and unless you come to me, you're going to die. That's what he's essentially saying to the Pharisees. It would be like you walking up to the person in your life, I don't know who that is for you, that is in the best shape of anybody you've ever seen. Chiseled, they can run a marathon. There's no one in better shape than than this person. You walking up to them and saying, you're dying of heart disease, and you don't even know it. Think about how offensive that would be to someone. That's what's happening here. If you think you're good and moral, this is deeply offensive. Why is it deeply offensive? Because it's a blow on your pride. It's a blow on your self-sufficiency. It's a blow to your identity. And that is why good people hate Jesus. Sufjan Stevens has an unbelievable song. John Wayne Gacy Jr., And if you've heard it, you know that it's 
it's hard to listen to. Uh, it's an historical, it's about uh, a, a song based on an, an historical figure who was a serial killer in Chicago in the 1970s. And what this man would do is he would basically dress up like a clown and lure young boys into his home and he would rape them and then kill them and then put them in the crawl space of his house. And the song really will make your stomach churn, but at the end, Stephen transitions, Stephen's transitions to the narrator. And it's actually his voice speaking, and listen to what he says. And in my best behavior, he didn't say my worst, in my best, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets that I have hid. The shock that you feel from that kind of statement and the way it makes you sick at your stomach really is the point of the song. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make here. Jesus here is looking at these Pharisees who think they've got it all together and he says, you see these tax collectors... You're just like them because we're all the same. And Jesus is taking them and saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are, we're all sick. And we all desperately need a Savior. We all desperately need someone to rescue us. Yes, sin might manifest itself differently in my life than it does in your life. But at the end of the day, he says we're all the same. And if you're here tonight and you think you're good and you're really doing it for Jesus and you are earning your salvation in a sense and that does not offend you and make you mad, then you are not listening to what Jesus is saying in this passage. You see, what's interesting is out of everybody at the party, guess who was in the biggest trouble that night? The Pharisees. They were the ones that were in the biggest trouble. Why? Because they thought they were well. They thought they were healthy. They didn't think they were sick. They didn't have a need for Jesus. And friends, that's why being a Christian... And being religious and coming to things like RUF or to church and being involved in a regular Bible study can be a very dangerous thing. Because it is oh so easy for you to start doing all of those things and then suddenly your mind starts shifting and you start, even if it's subtle, you start saying things, not to other people, but inside your heart. Well, at least I'm doing this and I'm not doing the things that those people are doing. And we start to believe the lie that those people really need Jesus, but I don't. You see, we're learning about Jesus and who He is and what this passage teaches us is that your badness does not keep you from Jesus but your goodness does. The Gospel of Mark, we're going to see it over and over. And just look, 
There is not a single person, and we're going to see some people that are dealing with lots of stuff, and what you see over and over in the Gospels is no one, no one is too bad for, for Jesus. But guess what? We're going to also see people, lots of people, who are too good for Him because they don't see their need. And so what do we do? If we're sick and we need a Savior and we need to be made well, how do we experience the healing? Look at verse 17 again. The illustration that Jesus is using is this one of a physician. And He says, again, only the people who know they are sick go to a doctor. And Jesus basically is saying there, I have come into the world to be your doctor. I have come into the world to make you whole and well. Because I am the great physician. Where do you find yourself tonight? Are you a liar? Do you cheat? Every chance you get and every test you can get a hold of and in any way you can? Are you a sex addict? Do you take advantage of women? Do you constantly struggle with the same thing over and over and over and over again? Are you a rageaholic? Do you have hatred, it seems like, in your heart for a particular group of people? Does your imagination go completely wild? Friends, Jesus is the great physician and He will meet you in the midst of whatever your brokenness is. And He will heal your wounds. And He will undo your shame. And He will begin to rewrite your story. Isn't that what we all want tonight? For someone to come into our life and to do that? Will you come to Jesus and experience the healing that you so desperately need? Let's pray. Father, would you convince us tonight